Queen. I'm Dr. Leslie Branch. And I'm Lanier Logan, and this is Hear Me. Black women define the narratives that shape us. Hear Me weaves contemporary and historical weekly conversations to create stronger bonds and lasting legacy. Hear Me is a sacred space where we discuss and define narratives that shape and define who society says we are and find common ground on the things that unite us. Good morning, good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm fair to partly cloudy with a chance of showers. How are you doing? <laughs> Um, it's Friday and I am ready to hit the road. I'm going to non-quarantine. <laughs> now let me stop. I think that's what I'm scared about. I'm taking like a little weekend, get away to go see some family. And I'm not too thrilled about where I'm going. But I feel like I need to go to see this family. So this should be interesting. All right. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. So how was your week? Uh, the week. Interesting, yeah. It was, it was a week. Yes, it was a week. It was good. You know, all things considered, we are well, we are healthy, we have a roof, we have food. We that have is health, important so. to have so, a yeah. roof. So anything uh, interesting happening in the news this week? Did they reach a decision yet on <laughs> the what they're giving people no they they haven't but interestingly enough after our last session i took our advice and i called up the irs to ask them where my stimulus check at <laughs> <laughs> and they they indicated that they mailed it out i'm like well i never got a check or a card or any direct deposit uh and so they're going to investigate what happened and they're going to cut a new check so I've marked it in my calendar for when I should expect it. So I'm, I'm very happy See? about that. And you thought you wasn't supposed to get a check. Look at that. Yeah. So now you really, so I guess the other question is who stole your check? I don't know. <laughs> they're going <laughs> to gonna investigate it uh, to find out. But I know I did not get a check. And they, like I said, they said they sent it out in May. At that point last week, it was August, I think, still and hadn't gotten anything so it was so august you. still yeah yeah so from may to august i hadn't gotten any uh stimulus money so thanks to us for um you know helping the sister out you you welcome so i would gladly accept um cash app payments i mean thank yous whatever works all right <laughs> so this week, we kind of have like a heavy episode, and I know this week has been intense already, um, but today we're going to talk about, we are, what episode are we at today? Nine. Dang, we, we are moving up there. We're moving up. Uh, today is episode nine, and we are talking about modern day lynchings in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, and this is really, honestly... It's kind of, um, I don't want to say sarcasm. I mean, um, we're talking about the nine Black people who were found hung in the United States, right? And everything is being labeled, each one of them, as suicides. 
But for me, it's interesting because it just seems like not only are they trying to make America great again by pushing us back, uh, backwards into slavery or whatever they think that is going to look like, um, no one is really taking these hangings serious. So hopefully during this episode, we can really talk about the the history of lynchings and what they were intended, um, even with police officers and how they originally started as um, slave catchers and how all of these things are tying in. It just seems like, um, it feels like I've read these things before. Um, thinking about all the history lessons in history books and it just seems like things are repeating itself. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's, it's really very scary. I, I mean, for, for me, who, who was born um, the year that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 came out, and then growing up in the 70s, it's an exciting time to witness what is happening just because of the whole activism uh, and how people are acting collectively to push for moral, inclusive, and just society. But what is scary is witnessing also some of the things that happened in the 50s and the 60s, the brutality against black and brown bodies or simply asking for or demanding the inclusive and moral and justice that certain documents the, that, um, you know, that says we are entitled to these things, the, the backlash that we're now experiencing because we are at demanding those things because they are our rights. But the interesting thing is, is that something happened, right? And I think there are a collective of things that we can maybe pinpoint, but something happened where racist or racism just became really loud. It just became loud as fuck, you know, excuse my language, but it just became so loud that everyone can hear it. Mm. It's the topic of conversation, whether they believe that it's happening, because you have a large group of people who don't believe it's happening, even with these videos, even looking at all of these live snuff films of people being killed or violated by the police, um, or citizen people of the community who are out here, um, those guys who killed Ahmad, I think the guy, the first person, the dad was like a, a police officer or something like that, or was he kicked off the force? Well, I, I believe he was formerly um, a law enforcement officer. I don't think at the time of the of Ahmad's murder, he was an mm -hmm. active law enforcement. Yeah. So I mean, either way, something happened right? Where this is just right up in front. And I wonder what that thing is. And I feel like because it's taken so long for people or celebrities in the media, or just even the media, like to have this conversation about racism and all of these different systems that was created and how flawed it is and how um, it has affected us. 
Mm. And we hear it a lot. And I'm just kind of wondering how long do these hangings have to happen before we stop labeling it suicide? Well, that is a very interesting and a valid question. And to address something that you said earlier, uh, or a couple of things that you said earlier, the same way this notion or the talk of America becoming post-racial happened around Obama's election to the U.S. presidency, I would suggest that a lot of the violence that we were experiencing as black and brown people also happened or, or can be correlated some way or happened around the time of, of or during the time of Obama's presidency as well. And then the final thing that I want to say is that when you when when people protest racism in this country, um, how does the saying go? If you protest something that is racist, you are considered unpatriotic. So racism in this country then is patriotic in some ways. It's it's aligned with patriotism, right? So think about Colin Kaepernick and his kneeling. And he wasn't kneeling to disrespect the flag. And I know I'm going off on a, on a tangent here, but just to make a point, he was protesting, he was kneeling as a form of protest against the brutality that black and brown bodies were feeling, but people couldn't see that. They could only see his disrespect for the flag. And so people would conflate protesting injustice against black and brown bodies as being unpatriotic. And to me, that, that is problematic. So. I mean, I, I, I totally get that. I just feel like I think we need to probably start having these tough conversations. And I think the other part is we have to know where we can go, right? So I think some of the reason why, or for me, I feel like, I don't know if I feel that we're hopeless when it becomes to the relationship between police officers and black people. But I definitely feel like there's no way to go. It's almost like I can't really call 911 because you're not going to help me. Yeah, you might just end up killing me. So if I have a relative who's found hung, you guys are telling me that it's a suicide, but who else can I go to? And I think that that is really important and something I want us to talk about today as well, too. It's just like, because a lot of these things are hate crimes. And in order to, in order for your crime to be considered a hate crime, the police officers actually have to file that. Hmm. And they're not filing that. And the hate crimes actually, once they're filed, um, the list from the county or the police departments that go to the FBI, allegedly, um, they don't get those cases unless someone says it. 
So it's almost like we damned if we do and we damned if we don't. So I want us to really talk about like when your police station is not hearing you, um, who do you, who can you go to or how can you have this filed or bring some attention? Because I mean, right now these families, when I think about it, you had like um, three black, three black men hung in three weeks, right? Between George Floyd and then there was another young lady that was found hanging in her garage in Texas, black lady, mm-hmm. with um, with all of these, I think she had three roommates. And this is recent. This is like within the last week or two. Um, and people were in the house and nobody came to the garage for three days to actually see her hanging. Yeah, that is kind of sus. It's completely sus suspects. Um, also, the good sis Sandra Bland. Like, we can't forget about that. Right. You know, um, and that was huge. And they just got away with it. It's like we're literally watching people cover things up, like, right in front of us. Or making the attempt to cover things up. And I know that this is off the topic, but um, this week I saw the statement from the judge who was put on the Epstein case. And somebody came and shot her kid, killed her kid, and shot her husband. Yes. And so, like, these are things that people are not talking about. And she said it in her video, like, you know, someone came to the house and as a FedEx person and just started shooting. All she could hear was shooting. Yeah. So we're literally, like, the things we've watched on TV and in movies, we're literally starting to see that play out in front of us. For sure. For sure. It is a little crazy. So um, do you even know the names of the people? I know um, there was Dominique A. Alexander, 27. That was the guy who was found hung in New York City in the park. In Marcus Garvey Park, right? No. He was found. um, Is it Central Park? No, I think it was Tyron Park and Washington Heights. Oh, okay. Which was which is even crazier to me. Like if you know Washington Heights, let me like make sure. Because if you know Washington Heights, I just would never think Yeah, in Manhattan Park. So where is Manhattan Park? I uh, should know this, but I think that's um, Washington, Washington Heights, up by Dykeman, if I'm not mistaken. And I could be wrong. Somebody, viewers, like correct me. We can easily Google it, but I don't want to get. I think it's it's Inwood. It's it's an in Inwood. Inwood, yeah. So it's um, up in Washington Heights. So uh, near Washington Heights. So I think that that was that was interesting, and even his family. Um, they are like nothing the police are saying to them makes sense nothing about this means that he was um says that he was going to commit suicide Uh, then you had robert fuller who was also killed i think that was the young man who was found um hanging outside of the elementary school on on a tree and that was i believe in texas Anytime I hear any hangings in Texas, 
I'm yeah. like, this is not suicide. Y'all gonna say whatever. This is Texas. Like people know Texas is just really a state that kind of does their own thing. Right. It's like when you go and you travel across seas and you want to go to Dubai and all these different, like those Arab countries, it's not your way. <laughs> you, when you get there, you need to conform because it will be the end of you if you don't. And I, I feel so strongly about Texas when it comes to that. So them even saying that these things are suicides and not hangings again is also a red flag um there was another gentleman and i don't even have the young lady's name but this is all so far within 2020 do you even know the statistics of black people who actually are hung who commit suicide just types of suicide rates well, I, I don't, I can't tell you what the statistics are, but I understand the trend um, that among black young people, the trend is higher among young white people. And I, I imagine it's attributed to just the, the amount of stress that they are facing. Mm -hmm. So... So it's interesting. I pulled up some statistics. Now, these are general statistics, and they are not broken down by race, right? But on average, there are 132 suicides per day. White males accounted for 69%, 69.67% of suicide deaths in 2018. Uh, in 2018, firearms accounted for 50 to 57 percent of all suicide deaths. And the highest rate of suicide is a middle-aged white man. The age justification or adjusted suicide rate in 2018 was 14.2 per 100,000 individuals. So what's, what do you think about that? Uh, well, um, I think that, well, actually, it, interestingly, um, that the, that the statistics that, that you're reading say that, uh, more white folks, particularly white men are committing suicide is interesting because from what I've heard, narratives around some of, I guess, the suicide thing, but then also just the violence that they perpetuate is because they feel that um, opportunities have been taken from them somehow or because they have nothing to look forward to because they're frustrated. Uh, they feel that they're being marginalized. Mm -hmm. Those are, those are things that I've heard around um, young white men when they commit violence. Uh, and, and that violence, I imagine, could include uh, suicide as well. But uh, regardless of what color you are, as of late, this country is just not giving people 
much to be hopeful about, particularly within the last four years or so. Um, we have seen, well, even though unemployment has gone down, the, the kinds of jobs that, Unemployment has not gone down. Well, after, when, when Obama was in office, an unemployment number was going down. And then when Trump- But it didn't go down for black people. Well, according to the statistics, there's always a two for one unemployment rate for black folks. Um, and then if you believe what the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics say, that until recently, the unemployment rate for uh, black and brown people was the lowest it had ever been since the, the Bureau started keeping track. The point that I'm making is that even though that number was low, the quality of the job was such that it didn't really allow you to earn a decent living. You would have to cobble together more than one job to make a living. And just to, to you know, punctuate my point, I remember back when the Great Recession first started, I had one job. After the Great Recession started, I had my main job, but then I had three other side gigs because the one job just didn't allow me to make ends meet anymore. And, and I hadn't done anything different in terms of how I was living. It's just the, the quality of the, the wage. You know, you weren't getting the increases. Everything else went up but your salary. And so in order to make ends meet, you had to have more than one job, which means you have no real quality of life because all you're doing is working, working, working. But right? all of... Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but that is completely different. That That's not the same thing as today, right? And even with the statistics and the numbers that we just quoted, mm -hmm. these Black people who were hung, at least if we think about this year, even just including Sandra Bland, none of them fit the statistics of who normally commits suicide. Right. Black people are very accustomed to, to hard times. I'm not saying that black people don't commit suicide. I mean, I have an uncle who, who did, and it was in a very violent way. Um, and we know, like, in terms of violence, like, men statistically usually choose more violent ways. But hanging themselves is something completely different. And I think that this is one of the things where we have to really break this down and look at it by statistics of people who actually hang themselves in these age groups, right? Yes, we're having hard times. I don't even think that these are hard times as much as they're uncertain times, which in my mind just leads to danger, right? There's too many uncertainties. Um, we don't have a government that we actually trust I also can't even trust personally any of the numbers that they're talking about mm -hmm. because everything is skewed and spoken about in a way that benefits the current administration to kind of highlight a positive. So with these, it's just kind of like there are nine hangings. 
none of these nine fit the typical statistics. So that doesn't mean that other people don't commit suicide outside of the normal white men. But to go into a park and just hang yourself when you have numerous family members and people coming out saying like, this doesn't, this doesn't match. In a time where there's complete civil duress, every, at this time, prior to Sandra Bland, if we talk about just this year alone, when these three, these four hangings, hangings happen within a three-week period, this was around George Floyd. This was literally in the following weeks because it was like every day it was something different. And so I don't know if there wasn't a lot of attention brought to it because we were so engulfed in what was happening. The protests started happening with George Floyd all over the country. But for me, this is one of those red flags that stands out like we're in a crazy time where white people are getting fired. Karens and Kens are getting fired nonstop for very racist things. I just saw a video two ago on social media with the white guys and the again. They were arguing with the other white people because they stayed back pulling him out of the park. I think that we are in a space to where we can ignore this um, or where we can just label it suicide. I, that's just like when people commit crimes and all of a sudden, you know, white people, oh, he had a mental illness. No, don't do that. Because there are people who are really struggling with mental illnesses who are not violent. Let's not stigmatize that. So I think that it is really important that we, like, look at that. Because these suic- this is just weird to me. It's just weird to me that we're not talking about this more. So should Black me- media be talking about this more since it's not getting covered everywhere else? So that, I mean, and and you're hitting, you're making some very important and valid points. And what happens is who has control of the narrative and who has control of the resources. And when elites control the narratives and the resources, or when people who have access to resources versus those who don't, the narrative is going to be spun in such a way that benefits the person who's controlling the narrative. And so, right, while it makes absolutely no sense, especially if family are coming out and saying, this is inconsistent with what we know about our family member, and we have known our family member all of their lives, and then to just be dismissed, oh, yeah, it was suicide, that speaks to who has power to frame the narrative. And so should black media uh, be covering it? I would say yes, but there are also black civil rights or, or I don't know if black civil rights is the right uh, uh, way to ca- characterize them, but there are civil rights organizations who should be taking up these causes and and, and trumpeting them and, and bringing attention to them. Uh, perhaps, and I don't know, if they are just so overwhelmed and, and are not able to, but this is certainly where Black Twitter and Black IG, if that's even a thing, um, Black Facebook, if that's a thing, or you know, just people like you and I 
who are discussing these issues via our podcast are raising them. But to be sure, unless voice is given to these issues, to these happenings, they're just going to get swept away or, or lost in the, the news cycle. And the news cycle is just so rapid these days in our country that it is difficult for us to take the long view. And so I'm very happy about what Oprah has done, you know, by putting... Um, who? Well, Oprah, in terms of putting um, Breonna Taylor on her, her magazine cover. All right. Right. So in that regard, she has a platform. She is an elite. And in in that way, she is bringing voice to a narrative that otherwise would just, you know, get swept away. Um, I'm having a, a fight with Auntie O right now, so we're not really on, we're not seeing eye to eye right now. <laughs> okay, well, that's the only one thing I wanted to bring up. And, and, and so it's, it's people like her who have power, but then it's also the collective voices like you, like me, that like other people in activist spaces who keep these things alive. We have mm -hmm. to, you know, and I know that you're not big on uh, political actors, but if it means, but I know that you're activists. So if that means just blowing up the phone of your local elected official or your community leader or district leader or whatever, um, you know, to make sure it stays on the radar and it, it's consistently, you know, talked about and framed in a way that is consistent with what family members who know the individual are saying, then that is the action that needs to happen. Well, I think there is a difference between just keeping, um, sharing and talking about the topic, but actually following the steps, right? So we're going to make sure that we leave the link in this episode. But so naturally what's supposed to happen when you file a hate crime, if you believe you're a victim of a hate crime or you believe you witnessed a hate crime, the first step is of course to report the crime to your local police station. But once you do that, right, um, then you can quickly follow up with a report uh, with the tip to the Federal Bureau of F Investigation, so mm -hmm. FBI. Um, there's a link down below where you get to submit the tip to FBI. Um, you don't. You can contact your local FBI office. There are ways for you to do that. And then I think it's up to us at that point to literally start continuing to hold them accountability, right? Bringing awareness, circulating this on social media. Um, it's unfortunate that, especially for these families and just thinking about like Sandra Bland and I watched a documentary on Hulu about Sandra Bland and I just was angered like, I just felt like I was enraged for the rest of the weekend because that was such a clear indication of foul play on mm -hmm. so many levels. And things just were completely covered up. And I often wonder how families feel when they have to go to social media and share this stuff 
on social media, um, how we keep finding out about these hangings also, um, other than the one random news reporting or social media, you know, usually it's the family or someone in a family who shares the post, right? Like the picture of the loved one hanging, um, some brief details, and then it just circulates. And I like often wonder how hard that must be for families to kind of see in one in one instance you're happy that everyone is sharing it and it's bringing light because it's like a hope for some sort of justice right then it's almost like damn like you reliving it like it's all over social media you won't be able to get away from it so it's kind of you know it's unfortunate that we have to cover our own news and we have to support and share and circulate the things that are happening. Um, it just seems like there are far more detrimental things that are happening than there are positive right now. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I agree with you in that regard, especially as it relates to black and brown people. Mm -hmm. um, but what is, what is very telling about some of the things that you're saying is because there is a push now to hold police accountable and to pull the covers on them, particularly in New York. I'm not quite sure what's happening in the rest of the country where there is a, a, a bill that was passed that essentially says uh, any misconduct that a cop has done can't be sort of you know, held secret. And I'm of course paraphrasing heavily. Um, a lot of police are now deciding to quit or retire because they now understand that they cannot just do stuff without account and, and not be held accountable. They're going to be held to account and rather than face the music for doing things that are unethical and are illegal, they'll just rather quit their job. And, and there's something very wrong with, to my mind anyway, that logic because you when you join the police as i understand you take an oath to protect and serve and and you are permitted under i guess certain guidelines to not protect and serve certain people you're you're permitted to brutalize people and and you would not be held to account for it. Now that a groundswell has happened and this Overton moment has happened where we now have a policy that says, okay, uh, Mr. or Ms. Police, you can't just brutalize people and do whatever you want and get away with it anymore. People just don't want to do the job anymore. They're, they're quitting. Mm -hmm. And that that's, for sure, overly simplifying things, but I do that to make the point. I imagine most police are, you know, good police. I happen to have family and friends who are police who have gone into the work to actually make a difference in their communities. Uh, they try to do community policing where they get to know the community and have a relationship with them, one of mutual respect, 
and not a relationship where, you know, I'm the chief, you're the Indian, and you're going to do what I say. And if you don't, you know, it's curtains for you, sort of a thing. I mean, that's just, it just sounds like we're asking for literally basic accountability. Well, we are, but because the system has allowed police to skirt basic accountability in some communities, now that they're being asked to do what they promised to do, they don't want to do the job. And so it's... it's so what does that look like in terms of... Um, if you don't want to do the job, then you're probably not going to give it 110%. Well, a lot of them are quitting. They're retiring. I don't even think they should be allowed to retire um, and get their benefits. Well, if, if you've done nothing wrong, then, and, and you have put in your 20 or whatever it is, I don't think that they can, uh, I don't think that they can uh, stop you from retiring. But something that you raised in another episode that we did, I, I think what needs to happen is their protections need to be gone after, right? So every time a cop does something wrong, at least in New York City, and there's a lawsuit brought, the city ends up paying the, 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 the judgment or the verdict or whatever it is, right? And so they're paying out millions and billions of dollars to uh, victims of police brutality, right? So Eric Gardner's um, family sued, and I, I don't know if it went to jury trial, but they may have gotten a settlement, but, you know, all of this money is being paid out to protect rogue cops. At, at some point, um, cities have to stop doing that. And so how do you, how do you, how do you, how, what does that look like? How does that happen? Um, so maybe if the city has bondholders or something, I don't know, maybe there's something written into uh, some stipulation or the how do you call it, the insurance policies, I think is something that you raised. Maybe something needs to be written into the insurance policy that if, you know, police do X, Y, and Z, we're not going to, you know, cover this through an insurance premium, through a payout or something like that. And that's a way to make people accountable. So it's kind of like, you know, the whole life insurance thing. Um, if you have a life insurance policy and you name someone as the beneficiary, they can't kill you and collect the money. Right. And so something like that needs to, if, if it doesn't exist already needs to happen because I don't think cities are doing a good job of um, holding, of making sure police are held accountable. Well, I think the interesting part is, when it relates to the hangings, right? And the suicides. Um, I think a police officer or, and we don't even know if it's police officers, right? Like, right. we don't even know. So let me just backtrack, right? Even having this conversation, like, who the hell are actually doing this? these hangings? 
is it police? You know, um, that Hispanic police officer, um, there was a report yesterday that he is the one who's airing out um, his his officers. They're a gang uh, in California. I forgot the city, city, but they are a gang and they all have these tattoos and all they do is um, beat up citizens. They do extreme arrests. Like it's a group of them. Mm-hmm. So he outed one of them. He sent a tip in and the next day the tip was intercepted. And the next day when he came to log in for his t- shift, where he pulls into the parking lot, um, there was a sign for all the officers to see that says, John is a rat. Wow. So now he's in fear for his life. The police officers, the um, the captain or whoever it is that manages the station um, put out a statement that they're investigating, but it's no gangs. It's no, there's no internal gang, X, Y, and Z, all of this stuff, right? So they're clearly covering it up in front of them. They're threatening his life. And I say, I'm saying all of this is because we don't know if it's them. Mm -hmm. So we know that um, the origins of police officers came from slave patrol. Right. And their job with these police officers was to catch runaway slaves um, and bring them back. And a lot of times they didn't bring them back. They would kill them, torture them, rape them. Uh, if the slave owner wanted the person back, then they would have to bring them back. But she definitely wasn't brought back in one piece. Right. And so that logic and that behavior has just completely transitioned through generations. Right. They couldn't, police officers almost, I don't even know if this is true, but today they can't do half of the things that they could have done if they were slave patrol. And even just saying that sounds crazy because they're doing it now. <laughs> like they're literally bullies. They're, they are, there are laws put in place, but this still has not changed their behavior and their mindset. So when we think about these hangings, it just makes you want to know, well, who's responsible? Right when it comes to the South, is the KKK running rampant? Right, um, I don't think that KKK necessarily has to wear hoods anymore. We know that they don't always wear hoods, right? Um, and I don't even want to reference like they're all wearing khakis, <laughs> but they don't look the same, and they're not necessarily dressed the same. So who is who's responsible for this? Who would be able to? hang someone up and no one see and it just completely be covered up so is there a lack of competence when it comes to even solving crimes with police officers like do they really know how to solve a crime or identify if something is a suicide versus um an actual murder since they do a great job at covering stuff up daily and so i i don't think that there is incompetence I think that, so here's, here's what I, I know. Culture is longstanding. It, it doesn't change rapidly. And so cultural practices might shift a little bit because the whole point of 
cultural practices is to maintain and perpetuate culture, right? And so if a particular practice falls out of favor, you just find a different practice that is acceptable in order to perpetuate and maintain the culture, right? So it is not culturally acceptable or socially acceptable to put up signs that say whites only or we're hiring but we're going to pay whites this and we're going to pay you know the irish this and blacks need not apply right so that's not uh socially acceptable anymore but the practice of wage disparity is still very culturally alive mm-hmm. right as a black woman who has a phd three masters, a bachelor's and a paralegal certificate, I am out-earned by people who have a fraction of my education and who are white and men. Right. Right. And so the culture of brutalizing black and brown bodies is something that still happens. The practice may have changed some practices may be coming back into favor as we are seeing with these hangings that families are saying could not be suicide based on what they know or just even based on the circumstances around it right so how how can a body be hanging in a garage for three days and nobody notice anything right the stench from that body's decomposition would have been flooding that entire house after three days. And and especially if, if it was during warm weather. Mm -hmm. Um, So something there just doesn't add up. I mean, does it ever? It, It doesn't. And so the culture of brutalization or domestic terrorism Um, as a means to an end in terms of dominance and subjugation uh, as a way to maintain law and order relating to blacks is still a cultural thing that happens to this day, Mm -hmm. whether, whether it is through uh, lynchings or whether it is through uh, brutality at the hands of police. And, and again, the lynchings in, in, in reading up for this uh, episode, one of the things that I read is that lynchings became in vogue during Reconstruction. And Reconstruction was the time that followed emancipation of enslaved Africans. And so the lynchings that happened during the Reconstruction era, uh, I, as I read, were oftentimes led by angry white mobs and those angry white mobs were led by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And it revolved usually around some, something that a black man, some, some trumped up charge of a black man doing something sexually or speaking to or looking at a white woman. And then the angry mob in a need to 
maintain the chastity of this white woman had to engage in mob justice and lynched a black man. And, and you know, white sympathizers who sided with uh, black folks were often lynched too for simply um, being allies, right? And so the thing that this brought to my mind was the whole Karen phenomenon. Right, Kat, Karen. So Karen is is a euphemism for a white woman who is entitled and privileged, and sees something that any ordinary citizen could be doing, um, but somehow, if a black person is doing it, it becomes criminal. Right, and so then Karen calls the cops, and the cops come in, and that's the end of the the black person. Mm-hmm. Right, so, I mean, and we, we have seen a number of Karen events, like Christian Cooper in Central Park. He was watching birds and asked uh, Amy Cooper to put her dog on a leash. She felt threatened and immediately called the cops, saying that a black man was threatening her life. Had the cops come, it could have ended very badly for Christian Cooper. And so... Modern day lynchings for me not only means the actual act of uh, hanging or lynching a black body, but it also uh, means some of the some of the other violence that we see against black and brown bodies and and you know at the hands of law enforcement that we've really started seeing. I want to say in 20, uh, 2014, 2015, uh, and, and the one that comes to mind that sort of sparked the whole thing was uh, Trayvon Martin, and then Tamir Rice, and then da, 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 da. And then it was like every week we were reading about and then seeing on social media black men being uh, killed at the hands of law enforcement for not doing anything wrong. Or if there was some wrongdoing that they did, it certainly didn't deserve a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, does it ever really deserve a, a death sentence? Like, I don't think that we as individuals or people should be taking it upon ourselves to make a decision about who lives or dies. And I think that that is the other part of this problem is because labeling these hangings as a suicide, I'm also thinking about families not getting closure. This person's life who was taken um, sooner than it needed to be. Like, who is making these decisions? That's just not, that's not okay. Like, when people commit suicide, it's literally not just the person who is, who committed suicide that is struggling. You leave behind all sorts of loved ones and family mm -hmm. members who are constantly recounting times that they could have said something, done something different. Um, if there was a fight or an argument, and that was the last time they had a connection with you. And then now you're no longer here. I just think that family's healing process is completely different. And 
it can be very traumatic for people who have to deal with someone in their family who has committed suicide. So for me, I take it very personal because that's an isolated thing, right? Someone who commits suicide is struggling in some way, shape, or form. Whether we feel they have everything monetarily or not, something led them to take their own life. Yeah. That in itself should never be dismissed or it should never be minimized. And I feel like, I guess it's one of the reasons why I'm just so insulted by these hangings and just it all being labeled suicide. Like we're not even giving this a thought. We're not even really trying to figure out if this was plausible. You know, does these individuals fit the statistics? You know, what are the people and loved ones around them saying about this person? Did this crime scene even look like, is this really a crime scene? Right? Like, am I approaching this like there was foul play here? So, but I think it it goes back to um, a point that I made earlier. Because we are not valued, brown and black skin is not valued, right? And so, and that's unfortunate. And until we can, as a society, value black lives, right? So this is the significance of the hashtag Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. that what clearly based on what families, the black and brown families are reporting and based on, you know, the, what the anecdotal evidence that we see in these things, those who are in power have the, have the power to just make the decision. And so if it's a black or a brown life, in some instances, it is not worthy of an investigation. And so transactions with, with black and brown people are devalued because of a market-based system that we live in, mm-hmm. right? The same way that women, transactions with women are automatically devalued because of the society that we live in and how things are structured and how things are valued. And so black and brown bodies, unfortunately, are not going to get the same level of attention. I mean, even when we talked last week about, or the week before about health, um, about COVID-19, what black and brown people experience in terms of even a, a transaction with visiting a doctor, they are not given the same level of attention and care. And so it's a systemic problem and it's a, it's a cultural problem. It's a, it's a problem with American culture where things are commodified and based on the skin that you're wrapped in, you're either a high commodity and valued highly or you're a disposable commodity and valued uh, less than. But it still brings me to the point of, so what do we do? Because we can't just be, we can't just be helpless, right? Like we can't just be, 
this is one of those situations where I'm just like, we need to rescue ourselves. Well, I don't know if there is one, one approach to solve all of our problems and challenges, but I do feel like we, as a parent, we need to get back to, you know, not letting our kids be out and about by themselves. Like this, to be Black in America just brings a different level of skills that you need as a parent. There is a different set of conversations that you now have to have, right? Mm -hmm. And out of these hangings, these are young people. Right. These are people's children who they're sending away to college, who they're sending, who's just getting out of high school, who are, you know, some of them, you know, in their 20s, 24, like they're figuring out life. Right. And whether it is a situation where someone is committing suicide, like making sure that our young people have the ability to identify or problem solve in some kind of way where they don't use suicide as a route. But also the other part is, can this person be trusting? So if we think about the young black girl who was found hanging in the garage in Texas um, probably a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. these are her roommates. So do we now have to start having conversations with our kids about, all right now, you know that, that that's a white boy, you're a black boy, or you're you know, a black girl. This is how, it, like those are real conversations. I remember family members having conversations with me about if we're going to a friend's house and um, the friend was, of course she was white. And so it was just like, oh, okay, make sure you're not seen. Like, make sure you're not in nobody's room by yourself. Right. Don't go wandering off throughout the house. Always make sure you're seen. Stay in one spot. Like, that's a lot of pressure for kids. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, you're going out here. These are your football friends. Okay. Um, do I want to let you go to this party? So the young black guy who they found with his intestines stuffed down his throat and wrapped up in the gym mat. And they said that was suicide. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of crazy. Yeah. That makes no sense. Right. So I think part of it is, is we have to be the creators of our narrative. Right. So in that way, the narrative got hijacked because Anybody who has a force of a brain will clearly understand that you can't disembowel yourself, be alive, and then roll yourself up in a, stuff them down your throat, and then roll yourself up in a mat. Right. And so that, you know, I, I don't even know what to say. Because but, these are the stories because that they're telling us. Right. So, I mean, that's just, that's just, the most ridiculous thing ever and people believe it and so um well i don't know if people believe it but the ones who are in the position to make a decision seem to be okay with it trust me there are trust me when i tell you there would be some people who would believe it you know and that is i think more of a reflection of their mental state and not necessarily uh Because, I mean, there is just no way you can disembowel yourself and be alive and then shove the things in your throat 
and then roll yourself up in a mat and then die. That it just, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works in my Beatrice from whatever that commercial, um, <laughs> right? But people believe that. And so, uh, and, and that's why it's just so important to have an educated citizenry um, because democracy dies when you have stupid people. It just, it, and then that's how this dictatorships happen. But is it stupid people or racist people? Well, believe it or not, there are studies in peer-reviewed, respected academic journals that equate the two. Ignorance with racism? Well, ignorance with um, beliefs that just make no sense, right? So in some ways, yeah. Right, people. So people who tend to be conservative, um, or or Republican or right wing, mm-hmm. would be more prone. The studies say to believe things that are just way out in left field. Right. So, um, and and that's just not me calling. Um, Republicans stupid, but it's it speaks to this notion of people not having experienced other cultures or have never even left their own block or their own farm. And I'm not suggesting that this doesn't happen in in on the other spectrum, uh, political spectrum either, right? Because there are people who live right in the Bronx who have probably never literally left their own block. I totally believe that. And because everything that they believe is influenced by what happens in however many square miles that is, they would believe that if somebody told them that because they've never experienced anything more than that. And so you know, it happens on both sides of the spectrum, but what we need to do, particularly around these lynchings that are happening or these hangings that are happening, we need to get out in front of that narrative because to depend on media to do it, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to happen because that's just not where they are. And part of the reason is whether they like it or not, it's, you know, this whole notion of a racist system is fed by a racist, racist actors. And, and whether or not you are intentionally racist, right, um, is besides the point. The, the bottom line is that it's racist. And so if you're going to cover a news story from a racist, pers- through a racist lens or through a lens that, um, is framed in racism, then you're not reporting fairly and accurately. What you're reporting is biased. And so in that way, that biased reporting or that non-reporting is perpetuating a system of racism. Well, that's interesting because I remember growing up, journalists 
were not allowed to give their own biased opinions. Like they weren't allowed to report the news with emotion or with their opinions. They had to stick to the facts that was presented to them. And that changed completely because people are reporting the news with their opinions, with their own biases. So I can see how that comes into play. Well, I mean, and and think about it, right? So sometimes I watch, you know, Fox News. uh, and, And so for the folks who are in the studio, they're reading from a script. They're reading from a teleprompter. And right. so they, you know, are reading what's on the teleprompter. Um, and it's interesting to me how when we watch these things, if, if, a, if a black uh, person has done something wrong and they're a certain age, a lot of times, and particularly if they're a teenager, the news, and, the, and not just Fox, but liberal news media too, will report that black person as a man. But no, no, he's not a man. He's, he's a, a child still. He's under 18, he's a child. But when they're reporting on, you know, white men who are under age, he's a child. And so that type of reporting has a, a racist frame because you are a black body, you are, making you're framing it as an adult and so therefore when you're an adult there are all sorts of things that should happen and you should know better and this that and the other and blah 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 uh and so people come away with a skewed notion about about a black uh child who was reported on as a man or as you raised before when you know, um, white folks commit acts of violence. They suffered from a mental illness. But when a black person who actually suffers from a mental illness does an act of violence, they're a criminal. They're not mentally ill. So let's go back to that really quickly, right? Um, Because that brings an interesting point. White people who commit crimes are usually and this is not by I was saying, but how it's shaped by the media is usually that they are suffering from, suffering from some sort of mental illness, right? And I know, so what does that say about police officers who are actually killing innocent people? Do okay. they have a mental illness? Like, is there a disconnect? Who the police? Yeah. So there is this notion of, I, not a notion, I have to get away from saying that, uh, but in criminal justice, there is this whole new, or maybe not so new, uh, line of, I guess, thinking about trauma-informed stuff. And, and what that means exactly, I don't know, but it acknowledges that in the moment of something traumatic, you know, I guess your, a certain part of your brain just kicks in and takes over um, because it, it, I guess is trying to protect the body or something. So again, I'm not the expert on it, Mm -hmm. but um, 
I think that's where the, the study is going with this. But then lay on top of that implicit bias and policing. And, and you know, it goes back to this cultural system in this country that devalues black and brown skin and just automatically equates black and brown with less than, with criminal, with anything negative. And as well, a listen, result- It ain't just white people, okay? Because some of these Hispanic police officers and Asian police officers, when you look at um, LA um, mm-hmm. or California, they are also volatile towards black people and have this affinity to hate and perpetuate violence against black people as well. So it's, I don't know why everybody think they need to continuously hate us or beat down on us constantly. And there is some form of us that I wonder if we're allowing ourselves to be open and vulnerable to this. And that is something that we would probably have to like dig into and maybe have experts on. But this is not saying that we're causing our problems, but how are we leaving ourselves vulnerable and open for these things to continuously happen to us? So part of it, I think, is that we're buying into a narrative that is perpetuated that really isn't one that is meant to benefit us, right? And, And so not to not to poo-poo the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and and all of those other documents. It just, right, and so we're, we're working toward a more perfect union. And so what that means is clearly we acknowledge that there are issues with the union and we are trying to make it more perfect. But if in 400 years we haven't been able to make it more perfect to the point where we are not getting beat up and 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 killed and and criminalized just because of who we are then then that's a problem right and so maybe we need to not be so trusting of what it is that Uh, we are told, right? Have we made progress? Absolutely. But to believe that, you know, the playing field is equal and that we can, uh, that it's it's hard work alone that gets us where we want to be, that is not something that I think we need to wholeheartedly believe. Does it take hard work? Absolutely. Does it take personal responsibility? Yes, but it's not that alone. It is a community, a collective of people who help us, who, who complement our individual and personal responsibility. And so we, we just keep believing the thing about just work hard and, and stuff like that. And, and it's more to it than that. And, and so I think we need to, you know, keep up the protests that we're doing. I think we need to definitely 
Are there even protests still happening or they're just not covering it anymore? No, protests are still happening. As a matter of fact, um, I think out in Oregon, things are still happening. Um, I don't know if anything specific is happening here in New York City, but, um, you know, we just need to continue these things um, and, and definitely hold our electeds accountable. Well, I think that's the other part too, right? And we've talked about this on the other episodes when it relates to voting, but for those of you who are going to vote, it's important that you know that you vote in your district attorney. You vote in your, um, I think even like a police chief in some places, you're voting these people in. So it's really important that um, you pay attention to those other parts of the voting aspect for people in power in your local politics, because a lot of times we're not giving light to those other roles and those other roles are impacting us. So we should be able to call on our district attorney when something is not right. You know, and, and to just bring it back to the lynching uh, discussion, it was, I want to say this year um, that Congress passed an anti-lynching bill, right? Um, and just looking at a... Uh, well, what's the details? Is it something that benefits us or? So, what, what I remember is, okay, so if signed into law, the Justice for Victims of Lynching Act would outline the specific killing of lynching, noting its violent and racist legacy and add it to the federal list of hate crimes. Um, and so following Thursday's unanimous vote in the Senate, and this is obviously a, a dated article, um, <clears throat> the bill would then go to the House before, Pres before President Trump. Uh, right. Um, and so it could be why. So did it go to the House and has it been voted on yet? No, it did. I think it did pass. It did pass. Um, Rand Paul had a few issues with it, um, but then it, it eventually uh, passed. But so what was the official law? Like what was actually? Passed? I believe it. No, I believe it. It, it did. Um, whether the president signed it, I don't know or not. But I just wanted to raise that because if that is now a law on the books it could very well be why what we are seeing in terms of these nine individuals who have been found hanging, uh, the police are refusing to classify them as hate crimes. Of course, but we've always, even before this law, even before this law, police officers had the right, or police stations, captains, whomever, had the right to make sure that certain crimes are filed as hate crimes. If you do any, anybody who's attacked a gay person, 
Um, and once it's reported or you say something really foul while you're abusing them, because um, we've seen these cases before, it's automatically reported as a hate crime. Police officers are quick to identify, oh, this is a hate crime. This is a hate crime. When it relates to Black people, they're not doing that. They've never done that. It's never been a rush to do that. So even with this law put in place, that doesn't necessarily benefit us. It just means that it's a law, it's on the books, but there are so many people in between who have to make sure that it is filed as such that how like that still removes us and makes us powerless in a sense. Well, yeah, and it and again it goes back to and so I'm I'm the the social scientist. It goes back to culture doing what it needs to do to perpetuate itself you know power what how does the saying go power concedes nothing or something like that and so our right power doesn't concede and what that essentially means or well, power concedes nothing um without a demand and 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 it never did and it never will and frederick Douglass said that and so we have to hold the system accountable. We have to demand from it and we have to use the tools at our disposal to make uh, power give us what our just due is. And so what does that look like? Does that look like starting petitions? Well, it, it's having people sign them. Like, what? So, and for me, I think all of these solutions and theories are great, but what's the outcome? Like, we need a realistic outcome. What can people do? People can share this information. They can follow up with phone calls to their um, district attorney, to their local police station. They can follow the steps on the DOJ to report or send a tip into FBI. Um, about a hate crime that has happened or something. I just think that people, I don't want us to just get comfortable with the boycotting or the marching, right. right? There are so many, because those things are not necessarily sustainable. The right, boycotting is sustainable, right? We see a lot more Black businesses popping up in different areas where you're able to... Um, different sectors of business where it makes it um, more plausible for you to support a black business and really boycott another. Right. Um, but for the most part, I really want like people need to feel like there is a next step. Well, there is a next step and right. So my, uh, my, my Bishop, uh, Charles H Harris, has this thing that he says. That's a very bishopy name. I just like to point out. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> That's a very bishop name. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has this saying that change requires our participation. And mm. so if people aren't participating in whatever it is that their hands can find to do to bring about change, then change isn't going to happen. Right. And so to your point, not every action is sustainable, but every action should lead to another action step. 
until we get the outcome that we're seeking. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm thinking about when I used to teach um, intro to business or even management or whatever it was, I can't remember, where you are creating plans, right? And you know this as a serial uh, entrepreneur, you have to create a plan and that plan has to have action steps and you have to have goals and they have to be measurable and you have to be able to see where you're making progress. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, being organized and how we do this is important. So efforts aren't duplicated. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in some ways, this is where some of the local and maybe the national organizations who are fighting on behalf of justice for black and brown and other marginalized people come in, right? This is, and I don't know what the NAACP is up to, Listen. but you know, this <laughs> is something that they should be all over if they're not. And again, I'm not, this is not me indicting them because I don't know what they're doing, but. Well, I'll indict them. (laughs) Where are they? How about that? Where are they? These black organizations, where are they? And yes, I said it out loud. I'm not identifying anyone specifically, but where are they? Because those specific organizations like NAACP have a history of when they began in their grassroots was bringing awareness and justice to situations like this. They were definitely on the grounds. They were in our communities. So where are they? Like it's, they've spread out and I just, I don't see them. And I also don't hear them. And I don't see them on social media and I don't see them leading these conversations. Um, And I just think that not only do we need people to lead the conversation, but we need other aspects and we have to be fighting. I need to see enough people fighting so I can pick my lane and decide what allegiance I want to jump in and push behind. And this is just something that is, um, I would like to see more of. Well, I mean, clearly Black Black Lives Matter is at the forefront Black Lives um, Matter is not for us. Like, can we just? Like, well, I'm just, I'm just raising an organization that is doing something, right? Oh, but are they doing something to our detriment, or are they doing something to help us? Because the movement was completely hijacked, and it's become something else. Even when you go to donate mm-hmm. to Black Lives Matter, all of this money that has gone there, where is it going to? As you continue to click and you go to donate, you get to see all of these different places um, that get the money that have nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I sound like Congress with this uh, stimulus thing. Right. They want to so, build a new FBI building. Yes. It is, <laughs> not helping me. <laughs> not helping me at all. And so at the end of the day, while this movement sounds like something, for the most part, it's a catchy phrase, mm-hmm. but Black people are constantly being used, um, and our movements are in our anger and our um, our plight is constantly being hijacked. And it goes back to that system. They're going to commodify us and leverage us uh, and use us for what you know benefits them, but when it comes to anything that benefits us, 
we usually get crumbs and, and that's not cool. But okay, so maybe not Black Lives Matter. But and just hold on really quickly, mm -hmm. just to follow up with that, um, Black Lives Matter, when you click into donate, it then says um, Act Blue Civics and Act Blue Charities. Who now who who are these people? Who who are these people? So I and that could be another episode all in itself. Right. Um, for us to continue to dig deeper into this, but I, I personally don't trust. Yes, the 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 slogan "Black Lives Matter." Yes, it's important. Mm -hmm. However, this organization is not for us. So, in no way would I ever endorse them or allow them to speak or make decisions for me or represent me in any way, shape, or form. Well, maybe we can, you know, in a future episode, uh, we can shake whatever uh, assets we have in our network and see if we can have a representative from them come on our show. Give them, not that they would need us as a platform, but, you know, just to, just to hear what it is that they have to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely down for that. Even having somebody from NAACP or the Urban League uh, come on and really just talk about the things that they're doing in the community. Because right now, there are some things that we know for certain. Um, history does repeat itself. Mm -hmm. And not only does it repeat itself, there are some things that we don't need to start anew, right? We could just get in line and join and kind of, instead of reinventing the wheel all the time, and just kind of help maximize what they actually need. So I think that that's something that we can um, talk about and really plan for because we need to be, we need to be supporting organizations that are not only supporting our livelihood, but that are in the fight and in the thick of it with fighting for justice for our lives. Right. I'm a mother. So in no way, shape or form, am I thinking that I'm birthing a child into this world to add value and this world is about to kill them. Mm. Hell no, that is a horrible feeling for any parent who has had to bury their child. Whether you bury your child from, you know, community violence to things that's happening, um, whatever the cause of death was, it's never going to be easy. And just knowing that like people are dying because of their skin people are being murdered because of their skin color, uh, because of our skin, right? We're not being murdered because I had a bad attitude or you didn't like how I spoke to you or I took something from you, right? You're literally taking our lives, our children's lives for the sake of your own insecurities or your hatred that you have for us. That's not even real. Right, most of the people who are like so racist as hell, they have these backward ass thought process or logic, like these outdated norms or narratives that they're using to create on why they hate us so much. And I'm totally okay. You can continue to hate me, hate me from across the street, but in no way, shape or form in a country where I am um, a productive part of society and my contributions add heavy value, 
I need to make sure that justice is happening for me and anybody who looks like me. Right. Definitely. So we have work to do uh, for sure. Um, <clears throat> we definitely do. And um, I know. So what is your what's your call to action for the audience this week? Uh, so, again, statistically um, and in the actual percentages and numbers, uh, we're outnumbered in this country. Blacks are outnumbered. Um, and as, as much as it, you know, is painful to say this, there's literally nothing we can do to stop the, the terrorism from happening again. I mean, it's happening. We're witnessing it. We are seeing it. We are experiencing it. Um, and, and that, especially given the, the context within which it is permitted to happen. Uh, and so my call to action is to our white allies. We need you, right? We need for you to speak up when you see injustice. A lot of the people that are voted into office that are allowing these things to happen because white people probably vote at a higher rate than black people, not because black people are apathetic, but because black people experience um, you know, blocks and, 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 and things to, to voting, right? They, they experience injustice in, in trying to exercise their right to vote in a way that white people don't. Y'all need to outvote some of those people that y'all put in that are allowing this foolishness to happen, mm -hmm. right? You might be, you know, well-meaning and liberal and all like that, but the exercise of your power in some instances are why we are experiencing as black folks, the things that we're experiencing. If it means boycotting, uh, you know, a company that you love to patronize because they have said something or done something that is extremely racist, then yeah, do that. Do that. Help us with your dollars that way. Purchase, patronize Black-owned businesses, right? Uh, so those are just some things that my call to action involves. We, we definitely need, if, if you are a white ally and you are woke, as the, you know, the, the, the term goes, then be woke all the way, not just in your, your rhetoric, but in your actions too. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, my call to action is I would like for Black people to really get back to building community. Uh, this is really important and we need each other more than we think we realize. It's not just enough to have our um, family that we have um, that we're related to by blood or by marriage, but, you know, knowing your neighbors is really important um, and not just for apartment buildings because I know we've gotten past this and renting sometimes so many people it's just like a turnkey right so many people coming in and out but a lot of times we don't even know the names of our neighbors we don't even stop to say hello 
um, it's important for parents to really get to know other parents that their children are hanging with. Um, really making sure that our kids understand when you go somewhere with someone, you go together, you leave together, you come home together, right? Um, if my kid is hanging out and they're with their friend and it's late, you know, making sure that kid gets home. Like I constantly, whenever I'm leaving my friends or we hang out and we split or I come in the house, it's like, text me when you get home. Um, there's so many things that are happening, even with these hangings, we don't know the full story. We don't know where these individuals were going, where they were walking, driving to, who they were meeting, who they were with, um, how these things even happen. Um, but, and that's what makes it really scary because we now have to operate in a space of, um, you know, we don't know. And you really need to trust the people around you. And if you are building community and we are keeping an eye out for each other and we're really being each other's brother's keeper, so to speak, brother and sister's keeper, mm -hmm. um, I think that we can start to be a little bit more vigilant against the things that are happening, even just not leaving us alone, right? I think that's the, the other important part. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, and then so in some ways, you know, we have to counteract the, the narrative of this country of individualism, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's not about just being individual. You, you, are, you were born into a community. You're part of a community. Mm -hmm. um, and when you get picked off by the enemy, that's how they, that's how they get you. You got to stay with the herd. Pretty much. Do you have a book suggestion for? Yeah, I do. Uh, so the book suggestion for this episode is um, Lynching in America, a history in documents, the first edition, and it's by uh, Chris, Christopher uh, Waldrop. It's, I mean, just the whole notion of lynching as sport, as a is an outing as something to be celebrated. It, it, it just, I don't know, right? So when we think about what happens in Mexico and how they celebrate the dead in Dia de los Muertos, where they go to cemeteries and have picnics and stuff like that, mm -hmm. I think for most Americans, or at least for me, it seems a little weird. Um, but, you know, what? what is just, for me, extremely grotesque and again uh i'm a i'm a 1964 baby and lynchings happened even uh, in into that time and this was this was a outing where parents would bring their children and and watch the person getting hung and set on fire and then they would take pieces of the the deceased's body as souvenirs, pieces of their bones. And I'm, I'm like, this is, this is nuts. But um, it's definitely a worthwhile uh, book to read because it, it goes into, it gives you some insight into uh, some thinking. Okay, okay. Um, don't know if I'm gonna read that so soon. Yeah. Uh, um, 
partly because it's just heavy material. I also don't think that these are books that you can read straight through. I think you need, excuse me, I think you need a break. I also think you need to, I think you need to take breaks in between reading books like this, especially in times like this. Mm. Because it just, it will heighten where you are. Like, whatever rage rage or sensitivity that you possibly have right now, um, these type of books and even this topic, you know, it just, it will trigger some things for people because I think that people have different experiences and um, this may trigger some things. Uh, My suggestion is literally, um, it's a review. And so we'll click the link Uh, We'll provide the link for you to have access, but it's a study and a brief history of slavery and the origins of American policing. And it was written by Victor E. uh, Kapler, doctor, uh, PhD, um, Victor E. Kapler. So there's going to be a link in um, in the show notes so that you can click and read the study. So it's going to really talk about some things the connection piece, right, of what it looks like of slavery and slave police and its connection to current day policing. Um, Believe it or not, lynchings were a part of policing. So I think that that's important for people to understand, like, this was legal, (laughs) right? Like, it was legal to lynch people. And so when you see things like Make America Great Again and the people who are wearing those hats and who is supporting that movement, they're supporting going back to a time where lynchings were illegal. And so I need that, I need that to register with people uh, and to be clear about that. So um, I think that's another reason why there's no real outrage because they were legal. And you see all of these older white people who come from these times who are in this place and they're saying some vile things out of their mouths and you can't believe that they're government officials. So this is definitely a study that you might want to check out when you get a chance. Um, Any final thoughts, Dr. Branch? Final thoughts. This is a very deep and dark time, but we have to, we just have to push forward. We, we have to push forward. And hopefully, you know, there will be brighter days on the horizon. Uh, November is very, very important. What changes it will bring, I certainly can't predict. I can only hope. But uh, definitely November is important. So, you know, remember to get out and vote. So voting, yes, um, that is important. Very much so. Um, I don't know. There's so many. We're just going to leave that final thought. Uh, (laughs) Because for this one, I like... What I do know or what I want to say is probably I want us to not to get comfortable with challenging the things that we hear 
and not just challenging for the sake of challenging, but more so. If something doesn't sit well with you, it's okay to ask more questions. It's okay to follow up. Um, it's okay to be outraged, but it's not okay to just sit with that rage. And I think we need to not be okay with this, right? There are nine thus far this year, right? I'm not saying in total in the last few years because Sandra Bland, I think was like five years ago at this point. But um, these hangings are not suicides. And I'm just going to go right out and say that. And I don't care what anybody says, but you're going to have to prove me wrong. And the fact that we're not getting enough attention on these topics is so easy for this to be swept under the rug, for it to just be labeled a suicide and not actually investigated. And that means that the people who are responsible for this are still out there to continue to do this. And I think right now, this is also a message for us is that to your point of something you mentioned earlier is that we're outnumbered. Mm -hmm. Yes. However, we got to stop letting people outsmart us. And um, I just, I don't think that this is something that we should allow anyone to sweep under the rug um, because we're going to see more lynchings. The more we say nothing, we're going to see more. And I think that this is a message from them telling us that, like, we're going to continue to do whatever we want to do to you when we want, and there's nothing you can do about that. And I don't do well with people telling me, you know, talking to me in that manner. So this is definitely um, a heavy topic. And I appreciate you all for joining us today. And for joining us, this is our ninth episode. Woo, woo, woo. Um, we, <laughs> Leslie, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> so this is our ninth episode. And I know we don't always have to do heavy topics, but I think it's really important for us to talk about things um, that maybe other people are not talking about. So thank you for joining us today. Go do something fun. Go watch something funny. Uh, but most importantly, be safe. Yes. And please stay Rona free. Yes. <laughs> and you guys have a good weekend. On that note, it's the Rizzi. Thank you for joining us. You can catch our latest episodes every Tuesday. Hear Me is on Spotify and iTunes. And it's executive produced by me, Leslie Branch, and Linnea Logan. And big thanks to Will Salastro, who produced the beat. Till next time, hear me.